Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail! Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I don't have a cute nickname. I guess I do for this podcast. You do. You can call me Rockmeister McCool if you, so if you must. And uh, this is our letters uh, show. You write us emails or snail mails, and we read them, and we answer your questions, and we talk about topics you want us to talk about. And that's so all you need to know. Basically that. If you want to email us, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our post office box? Uh, you can send us an actual physical letter or package. Uh, it is the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And we're very, very excited because we have a couple of snail mails to open we did. We got on some the air. Packages. So uh, here is uh, a package from Alan, and this does not have a letter in it. Oh. It is rather mysterious. Like, like okay. we got a package from the Riddler. <laughs> And it, it's just a big blue piece of paper that says C2S. Cancel too soon. And it is a DV, it is taped to a DVD of. of a TV program in this very stripped down minimalist box called Run Buddy Run. Okay. And the description on the back reads as follows. Uh, 12 episodes on three discs. Buddy Overstreet was an everyday, everyday ordinary sort of guy until the one day he overheard a member of The Syndicate, a crime organization, Ooh. say the words... Chicken Little. Now, the syndicate has decided Buddy knows too much and must be silenced for good. The show follows the comic misadventures of Buddy as he travels from town to town trying to evade the people who are trying to kill him. It's kind of like The Fugitive, only played for laughs, starring Jack Sheldon, print color, genre comedy. And uh, yeah, awesome. And and these are DVD-Rs that have like yeah. handwritten labels on them. Because this is one of those shows that has never uh, been properly yeah, yeah, restored. So. and Which means that everyone who's keeping this alive, whoever they can, is actually mm. doing the work of a historical archivist. Mm. And we thank you. Uh, thank you to... It was uh, with, with, uh, with Alan. Thank yeah. you, Alan, for sending this along. We will take a look at this. We'll add it to the list. we got a couple of things coming up soon on Cancel Too Soon. Mm. Whitney is going to get to Terriers when he gets to it. <laughs> It's it's me this time. I, yeah. I, I last time a, it was me. Last time I took, I took too a, long. I took a nine to five job. It's difficult to find yeah. the time to watch a lot of these shows. But Terriers now. is coming soon, and then after that, we're going to be doing the uh, New Adventures of Batman, which was the animated series starring Adam West and Burt Ward. And then after that, we'll be able to do stuff like this. Yeah, so we're very, yeah, very sure. excited to get to that. And thank you so much for helping us out and adding to our library. We also have another letter, yeah, and this is uh, uh, just a letter in an envelope. I like to think that the uh, the. There's a, like an extra large C in critically acclaimed network mm -hmm. on the envelope. I like, like to think clue. that's like you know the the to the Batman kind of writing. Yeah, what we got? 
Anyway, this one comes from Hans. Hi, Hans. And I'm, I'm, I'm crinkling the paper just so you... So you know it's real. You know it's real. It has a yeah. little bit more of a quality. We couldn't fake quality. that. Yeah. Uh, dear William and Rockmeister, recently I had a discussion in a group chat that I, I'm i in that spawned a question I've been ruminating on ever since. Mm. It, was, uh, it was the morning that the Oscar nominations were revealed, and I was expressing excitement that The Mitchells vs. The Machines was mm. nominated for Best Animated Feature. I then said that I wanted it to win but I expect Encanto to win instead. I have not yet seen Encanto, but I have gotten a bit tired of Disney lately. (laughs) I am an aspiring filmmaker, so it really bothers me that they're the big bully of a studio uh, seems to still get the most attention and the recognition. One person in the group chat who had great affection for Encanto seemed to take personal offense to my criticism towards the studio as a whole, and she seemed to think that I was begrudging anyone who liked the film. Which confused me because I had said nothing about the quality of Encanto, but rather that I hated that I uh, that I loved Mitchell's versus the Machines. Uh, I hoped, excuse me, uh, I'm having trouble reading a little bit of hands. It's a little dark in here. We apologize. Yeah. I hope the Mitchell's versus the Machines would win, and I feel Disney gets enough recognition already. Anyway, the point is this: I feel sometimes as though fans of particular films end up identifying with them so personally that anything to do with them feel uh, feels even adjacent to some sort of critique will offend them. As an aspiring filmmaker and self-proclaimed auteur critic, I find it distracting whenever something I as whenever I present something as my opinion and then try to back up that opinion with specific points to then be shut down or dismissed as someone who begrudges others fun. Uh, should I be doing anything differently? Sometimes I think maybe I shouldn't express my opinion when people are so emotionally attached. The Last Jedi comes to mind. But then other times I want to present my differing opinion because it seems to be in the minority. Uh, incidentally, Dune was one of my favorite films of last year. Fair enough. I have some bias for that because I'm a big fan of the book and I've been following the production since I had heard about it. That being said, I can I continue to have massive respect for you two even though you disliked the film. Both of you have praised films I liked and disliked ones I don't, but that's not what I listen. That's not why I listen to your podcast. I listen because I think both of you have a unique and well-trained taste and perspective. Hmm, anyway, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Sincerely, Hans. Hans, uh, thank you so much. Writing. A little tiny oh. P.S. And let's oh, see if oh, I can oh. even read this. It's in pencil. It's uh, this is on uh, lined paper. Nice. And the P.S. is like crammed inside one Uh-oh. line. Several lines inside one line. Yeah. Um, P.S. Insert obligatory penmanship apology here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's nice. really, you're really nice. good. Good job. Um, thank you so much, Hans. Thank you so much for the handwritten letter. We always appreciate that extra touch. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, you're actually talking about something that we deal with all the time, both as fans and as critics. Um, it's difficult to be critical of something in a fan environment that uh, relishes and uh, treasures positivity. Mm. Uh a lot of fan environments, whether they be for Disney or the DCEU or uh, your favorite video games or whatever, they're all uh, people who come together because they like something. Mm. And being the person who maybe dislikes that thing or maybe you like that thing, but you think there are things that are worth criticizing and you'd like to talk about those. Maybe you just think some other thing is better and maybe it's getting overlooked and you'd like to point that out. Unless you express yourself very carefully with that, with saying all of the, well, I think, and mm. this isn't to say that I dislike this other thing necessarily, etc. It's very easy for people who are just going about their day to hear negativity about something that they love and feel a little attacked. Mm. This, I, I, But I love Encanto. If you don't love it, 
do you not love me or is our relationship well, genuine? And I'm not saying that's, a, a, I don't think that's a healthy perspective, but I think it's a perspective that has been fostered by uh, uh, fandoms. And I think in particular by yeah, but, corporations that want you to not only like their movies, mm. but to live their movies, yeah, to they, buy all the merchandise, to, not, to follow the, the news and make podcasts about it. And, yeah, basically the, uh, form this group this um, this we call them cults for a reason there's a cult like fervor yeah, the, uh, behind these because there's that level of of uh, um meh. <laughs> fervor perhaps. fervor is All a good right. word for it thank you uh something happened along the way sometime in like maybe the early 2000s yeah uh definitely something that had something to do with the internet mm. where you know when fandoms started to come together and calcify in larger numbers because mm. they were now connected to these gigantic fan groups online yeah you don't have to social sort of... media went from a thing people do to the thing that drives our existence in the yeah, last yeah. 15 and, years or so yeah and uh fandom as a way to respond to all media mm -hmm. started to leak into every single conversation uh, when you like something, you are now a fan of it. Yeah, uh, and if you, you can't are, just kind of like this one. Yeah, if you, yeah. and I've I've heard that said before, you know, yeah. just in person and online, where people say, yeah, if, if you like something, then you're a fan. Well, no, a fan is short for fanatic. There's yeah. certainly there's a difference between just enjoying something yeah. and being a fan of F that. Fan thing. suggests a particularly heightened enthusiasm, mm. and a lot of people enjoy things very casually. The difference is you won't see them talking about it online all the time. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. they're just sort and, of staying out of it. Uh, and so fandom just sort of as a way to react to media became almost the default position after a while. Yeah. And that was uh, completely exacerbated by the corporate takeover of that. Well, yeah, because where, fandoms can be monetized more easily. You know they're going to buy yeah, our stuff. Yeah, you know yeah, they're going to so, see the movie. You know they're going to buy the toys. Right, yeah, so all of a sudden, uh, it used to be called marquee value back when I was a kid, and now it's just called brand recognition or IP. Yeah. Uh, where... Uh, yeah, they put the name of something that's already recognized. It's pre-sold. Yeah, they, to someone at least. To some, or at least or there's the a pre-existing interest. Yeah, at the very least, uh, they don't. There is no effort by uh, you know, advertisers to have to explain what this new thing is. Yeah, I you honestly, already know what a Ghostbusters is, so I, here's just another Ghostbusters. I, I honestly think you could just drop another Batman movie in theaters tomorrow with no fanfare, mm -hmm. and it would. It might take a few days for people to realize it's there, but once they do, it's going to do great numbers because it's another Batman. It's They're just going to go yeah, see it. It's called Batman. It could, yeah. it could literally be anything. Yeah. Uh, so long as it has a Batman in it. Yeah, and, and again, you, it's not necessarily going to make a billion dollars. It's not necessarily going to be everyone's favorite Batman. It might ultimately yeah, and, be very divisive, but you will get butts in mm -hmm. seats. Tickets will be sold, and, uh, and you'll probably make your money back at least. So many of these cottage industries also sprung up around this sort of corporate advertising mentality. I, I wrote an article for Slash Film recently about mm -hmm. how uh, spoilers aren't about necessarily giving away plot details, which they are. That that's literally that's the idea. That, that's the, literally what a spoiler. Yeah, the is. idea is you've uh, ruined something. You you've given away something in the plot yeah. that the storytellers really don't want you to know because mm -hmm. you'll be ahead of the movie and it will kind of ruin yeah, it. We kind yeah. of spoil the yeah. the drama. Uh, but I think when people say no spoilers, what they're really talking about is this really carefully constructed anticipation process, yeah. where which is dictated by corporate advertising. Mm -hmm. uh, they get a certain amount of information and from the, the advertising machine, mm -hmm. and they they suss it over in like a very rigid kind of yeah. carefully they, needed out way. They want their audience mm -hmm. to speculate. But they also want their audience to be afraid of actual information because, oh, then the the uh, treasured experience of experiencing the movie mm. fresh yeah. uh, might be sullied in some way, and, which is kind so of weird. All of a sudden, you know, advertising is geared to have you be whipped into this fervor 
uh, to use the word again, uh, by the time the film opens. What if you just want to see a film? (laughs) It's it's not... this kind of fervor isn't designed for critical analysis. It's not really designed for conversation after the fact. It's all designed no. for conversation before the fact. In fact, oftentimes you'll find the conversation after the fact is, I loved it. Let's talk about the post credit scene and what's going to happen next. Yeah, it's, it's all, like, can we even talk already about, on the anticipation train again. Let's talk about this movie for a while, you like, know? Can, can we, like, sort of go into the movie and talk yeah. about sort of the details? What like, did work and we, what didn't we had work? A few, yeah, we had about a week when, like, people were talking about the Batman. Positive mm-hmm. and negative. It was, you know, not everyone loved it. Uh, yeah. And now, and now, a lot of what I'm seeing online is, oh, now there's going to be a Penguin TV series, and what villain do you want to see in the next Batman? Mm-hmm. And, okay, like, but we can still—it's a three-hour movie. There's plenty to still talk about. <laughs> and and people are like seeing these films multiple times. Sure. I, I know people personally who like buy t- several tickets in advance before they've even seen it once. They commit to seeing it three see or four it times. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, I just that's the way they. The function. only time, that's the only thing. time I ever uh, did that was when I promised two separate people mm. that I would see Star Wars: Attack of the Clones with them on opening weekend, but they uh-huh. couldn't see it at the same time. Oh, so you had to see it. So twice. I, I yeah. said, you know what? I'll, even if it's not good, I'll take the hit. I'll watch it again because right. I'm seeing with a friend who's from oh, yeah. out of town. That, that happened to me yeah. twice where I saw a movie in the morning, uh, the, like the yeah. morning it opens. Like, I want to see a movie. I'll see that. And forgetting that I had promised to see it with a friend that evening. Yeah, exactly. So I saw the remake of 13 Ghosts <laughs> twice in a day. How did it hold up? <laughs> that movie sucks. <laughs> I'm so mad at that movie. Anyway. Uh, I mean, it it it's it feels like really kind of like kooky and wild yeah. compared to a lot of the more restrained things today. But, but one uh, of the one of the problems with this yeah, though that we run into is, as as what what I'm, sorry, sorry, let, let, me, let me finish my point here. Just, by the time that film opens and so you're you're whipped in this fervor, mm-hmm. if you enjoy it in any sort of way, you're encouraged to declare yourself a fan. You have to mm-hmm. be really passionate about that movie mm-hmm. because that's actually kind of what the corporation has done to you in a way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what the advertising has done. It's what it's trying to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you some... could you you yes you you could be part mm. of our marketing strategy. Oh, we could yeah. quote the, you this... in a in a commercial. Yeah, you tweet you know? it, and the, the corporation will take your tweet and yeah. put it in an ad, and all of a sudden you are validated in some bizarre way. Oh, yeah. uh, and you know the gigantic movies, the ones that have like uh, uh, toy tie-ins and a lot of merchandising, mm-hmm. are especially insidious in this because now it's not just the film; it's mm-hmm. this entire experience. Yeah. And now you can go get the soundtrack record and buy the T-shirts and et cetera. Et cetera. But uh, we're, we're we're getting so, into the weeds. Well, we're getting um, uh, no. This is going to uh, my point. Okay, which is after you've consumed all of that mm-hmm. and you've made the film part of your identity, you will not hear criticism. You uh, you might not you might not be open to it as a problem, and I yeah. think and this is not to say that every certainly not your friends necessarily Hans or anyone else. This is not to say that just because you like something you are brainwashed or that you are incapable of hearing criticism. A lot of people are. That's this is not an altruism. This is not an essentialization. This is not a generalization. We've just seen this happen. You can see it happen on Twitter all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it can just be a simple fact of I really like this movie and a friend of mine didn't like it and that kind of bummed me out a little. It could just be that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the difficult things with loving cinema or loving uh, sort of a thing in general as opposed to being dedicated to a particular franchise, for example, I find is that if you're dedicated to a franchise, you tend to be a booster for it. Even if something's negative, mm-hmm. you might say, okay, but I liked it anyway because blank or this is forgivable because blank or that's not a big deal we'll talk about other stories if you just love like the medium you you can also just kind of love talking about it yeah so like i love movies i love some batman movies i love some spider-man movies i love to talk about them regardless i like to talk about the criticisms of the movies that i like 
Because mm. a lot of times they're perfectly reasonable criticism. They don't necessarily ruin the movie for me. But I like having that conversation. That is part of my fandom. When people say, like, oh, you're not, a, you know, ruining our, our excitement. You know, it's like, well, my excitement is to talk about cinema. <laughs> <laughs> my excitement is to speak critically and to actually think about these things. Why is that so gauche? Why is that so, so much of a faux pas? And it's because people aren't necessarily interested in anyone yucking their yum right now. No. Uh, so it's really tricky. And this is something that Whitney and I are pretty dedicated to is... We really want to normalize the ability to speak up and say, I like a movie when other people don't, even mm. if it's unpopular, it's getting like everyone's like jumping on it. And also to be able to say, I find fault in a movie that everyone else is liking right now. There are bad ways to do both of those things. There are, especially well, this, especially the latter. You can yeah, just the, be a uh, jerk. You cannot have an actual point to make. You can oh. just be saying, I don't like it. And that's not really helping anything. Well, but it's important. I would also argue yeah. that uh, uh, being relentlessly positive is also a way of being a jerk. Uh, potentially, yes. Especially if you're shouting down people who might just want to have a conversation about mm. the criticisms. Which I, also which think I think a is, is a little bit more salient to... Uh, I agree. I'm just, I'm just allowing, because I think the problem is that when we, it's too easy to wrap this thing up with a bow, there's a lot of nuance, especially when they're talking about thinking about individuals and specific groups yeah. who may have, uh, uh, may not be as, um, yeah, monolithic in the way that they approach a film or a franchise or the art form in general. I'm speaking in terms of just very vague generalities and the mm -hmm. few specific experiences that I've had, but as critics, it is sometimes our responsibility to say when something is unpopular that we think it's great. And it can also to explain why. Yeah. And also as critics, it's important to be able to say the opposite. Sometimes I like a movie everyone else likes. Sometimes <laughs> I don't like a movie everyone yeah, <laughs> That's perfectly fine. But it's if, if it never happens, if you never like a movie no one else likes, if you never dislike a movie everyone else uh, uh, likes or, or, or whatever, if you never have a dissenting voice if you never have an outsider opinion on something I, part of me wonders like wh what are we contributing to the conversation at that point mm -hmm. like um there may be something maybe you're, you've got a, a particular uh way you do uh criticism and not trying to uh, uh uh be down on anybody but like the beauty, the beauty of having all of these critics from all these walks of life is that we get to hear other perspectives, and that means we have to hear differing voices. Yeah, we had yeah. to feel people who just like one thing more than another and have a reason for it or have very strong opinions, uh, and that's exciting. And I really want to encourage people to be excited uh, uh, by our differences. I'm going to quote uh, Surak once again. Uh, <laughs> this is my favorite Star Trek quote. Uh, it is a quote uh, from Surak, who was the sort of Jesus Christ figure of Vulcan. Uh, and it's what happens when he meets a, a new species, specifically Captain Kirk in the original series. He says, I am pleased to see that we have differences. May, may we together become greater than the sum of both of us. Mm. That is such a great philosophy. I love that there are people who love the Batman more than I do and have distinct uh, distinct takes on it, and I have grown from reading some of their takes, and they've made me like elements of the movie more. Mm -hmm. But I also want to be heard when I say I think the film has other problems. Uh, Encanto, right. we, you, you like Encanto less than I do. I find Encanto very, very sweet and charming, and mm -hmm. I think it's a very, very good film. And although I think Mitchell's vs. Machines is better... And I would like it to win uh, Best Animated Feature. I'm also not going to feel too defeated if Encanto wins because specifically that movie is good. However, the counter argument, which is 
Disney wins that award almost every single time. And although it might be a bummer to necessarily count out Encanto simply because it's made by Disney, even though the individuals working on it did a distinct achievement. Yeah. There is something to be said for spreading that love around, and that is a larger sort of yeah. macro criticism of the industry and the Oscars yeah, in general. Uh, I think uh, I think it was Stephanie Zakarek, she's uh, a, a well-established critic, has worked for decades, uh, said that uh, it's possible to enjoy an individual film and still wholly resent the market value that it has. Yeah. Uh, the high profile of a film can in many ways ruin the film. Uh, Absolutely. Can. It's, you know, you can look at the film just sort of as a, an object unto itself, mm-hmm. but if it represents something besides just what it is, if it becomes co-opted by people who are weaponizing in yeah, some way, mm-hmm. or, or even if it just becomes this sort of runaway success that is no longer, we can no longer have a meaningful conversation about. Yeah. Uh, because there's a distinct popular, uh, mainstream take on it. Yeah, like a, that's very frustrating. A very particular point of view. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. Uh, so, so uh, in any case, Hans, I, I think what we're saying is it's okay. Definitely, it's okay to have your own point of view. Mm. Depending on who you're talking to, it may be useful to couch your critiques in sort of positive terms. I know you like it, but I blank. But uh, generally speaking, as long as we're we're decent to each other about it, there's mm. no reason why we shouldn't be able to have well, conversations about films critically. And and I think. Uh, confidence is a really big part of this, isn't it? Mm. Just sort of the confidence of your own opinion, the confidence of being able to say that out loud. I really love this movie. Oh, golly, I hated that one. Yeah. Just, I, you can just say it frankly and yeah. have a conversation about it. Mm. Uh, yeah, you, it's about it, love its attitude, love its attitude. Oh, golly, I hated that movie. Yeah. Why did you like it? Like, you can have a positive mm. conversation. As long as it's, I think one of the things is you never want to be trying to shut down a conversation mm. by saying you liked a movie or you hated a movie. You should always be trying to start one. You know, like, oh, if you loved the movie and I hate it, like, oh, really? I didn't like it at all. What do you see in it? Yeah. That can be useful. And again, we can learn from each other's differences and maybe I'll see your perspective. Maybe you'll see mine. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll meet in the middle. Maybe we'll decide that we have nothing in common and we'll learn from that. Well, and, <laughs> there and are people who will still think nothing like me. Friends. That's yeah. fine. Uh, yeah, I'd, I've had plenty of conversations because I'm you know, a, a grump who likes o- oblique, difficult art movies. Yeah, I'll uh, say, and, yeah. <laughs> and I and I make fun of him for it constantly, and I love and, him for it yeah. also. So there you go. So I, I have conversations with people. What do you do for a living? Oh, you know, I review movies. Oh, that's so cool. What's you know, what did you think of Spider Man? <laughs> And you'll have to say, you know what I really liked was this three-hour Japanese film called Drive My Car. It's really emotionally intense, and it's really uh, it's about theater and conversation. I think that's a really good movie. You could you should watch that one too. Mm-hmm. That one's really good, and I hope they would learn from that. And I don't have to say I don't like that Spider-Man. You liked it okay. I liked it. I liked it's, the, it's, that's actually, not liked a bad. The, I like the Spider-Man fine. But, I like the Spider-Man better than I like the Batman. I, I also didn't. I actually like that Spider-Man quite a bit. Anyway, I, um, I have noticed, uh, and this is off topic, but well, uh, okay. It, it's been coming out, like, a lot of people have noticed now that Spider-Man is on home video and people can kind of, like, mm-hmm. delve into some of the specifics of the visuals. Yeah. They're noticing a lot of, like, little uh, sort of technical flaws with the movie, how things really It's kind of thrown together. Really, really kind of fake and, yeah. yeah, really slapped together super fast. Yeah. A lot of shots are just shot up against a green screen and they sort of found the filmmaking later. And yeah. when you're making a film of that gigantic size and you have the money to do that... You would think they would take the time to, like, set up shots there's and two, There's two schools of thought. There's one school of thought is you'd think you'd have the time Mm. the other school of thought is we can afford to do it later and make sure everything feels the way we want it to yeah which makes the film way more expensive by the way that's one of the reasons these movies are are but disney can afford it yeah disney can afford it 
And, and how much money has that made? 18 scatillion dollars? It's, it's made been a spectacular a amount of money. And to its credit, Batman was shot in a much more uh, hands-on kind of way. Mm. And I think it, it's a more interesting-looking film. I think That's we can true. all agree it, on that. It, it whether looks you like, way better. Yeah, yeah for sure. Whether you love that aesthetic or not, it's a distinct-looking film. And mm. I appreciate that because okay. we've lost a lot of that in our superhero movies. There's a certain homogeneity. Like yeah, everything yeah. just feels a little like well, it's, it's all part of an assembly line. Now. It yeah. is, and that's something. And that some people are putting a little bit more of an effort into making it like certain stylistic elements feel a bit more Taika Waititi than they mm. would someone else. But they're all working on the same assembly line. There's only so much you can do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a downside. Uh, although Chloe Zhao in, a, in an interview recently yeah. said, "Yeah, no, that was me." Yeah, like, they, gave, they gave Chloe Zhao a lot of, like, no, a lot of actually, leeway. This is kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a superhero yeah. movie, and this is what I my superhero well, movie they, would look like. And and she had some freedom because those characters are off in their own corner; they're not interacting with anybody. Yeah, they don't yeah. have to. They, they don't have to match scenes it's, to other scenes from other movies. It is and, so weird to hear hear Selma Hayek say the word Thanos. I know, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanos came and was like, wait, what? Oh, right, this is like the MCU <laughs> thing. I was just yeah, watching... It's, it's easy to forget that that's an I, MCU film. I, I yeah. was watching Salma Hayek on a farm and having a wonderful time, and she yeah. mentions Thanos. And There's a moment where everyone, all the Eternals are having dinner, and one of them says, so, who do you think's going to lead the Avengers now that Captain America's dead? And I want to all say, shut up! <laughs> you don't care. Like, it's, it's seriously... you paying attention. Like, you, these people live for like a the, fraction of a second compared to how long we you, live. That's nothing to us. You invented the plow for the ancient Babylonians. <laughs> You don't care about Captain America. <laughs> I like that the Eternals movie. That's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we should move on. Thank All you right. so much for writing in. Yeah, uh, Let's move on to our emails. Yeah, we got some emails as well. Plenty of emails, yeah. Uh, so this is a letter from Josh. Hello, Josh. Hi, Josh. Uh, good afternoon. Good evening. Hello. Uh, first off, I'm surprised by the response I got from my letter previously about selling out. Uh, it was surprising to encounter the discussion that arose from the letter I sent in. That goes to show that you should never be reluctant to write in. That goes to all of you. Yeah, please. All of you. All we listeners. apologize don't, that we can't. Don't be shy. Yeah, we can't. We can't read every can't email. Read all, we we but, would yeah. love to, but we would have no time to do anything else. Yeah, but uh, so we, we, you know, we do what we can, but don't always write in. Yeah. Uh, that goes to show. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> on to the point of this letter. <laughs> Whitney, find any place in the uh, You talked about on your March 21st review show about the lack of sex in films these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there is this inexplicable trend towards being chased. I believe there are reasons behind that. First, actors regularly comment on how they hate shooting sex scenes. If you listen to enough commentary and film television tracks, uh, there's a a through line that filming sex scenes is an immense amount of work that aren't worth the trouble. Uh, This is further complicated by the outcome of the Me Too movement and the revelations about how actors were treated during these sex scenes in the past. Fair point. There have been efforts in recent years to create productions of hiring intimacy coaches to prepare actors for such scenes to perform in such a way that's that's comfortable and hospitable to the actor. I know uh, a lot of uh, sex scenes are shot with like as few crew people as possible. They're not going to have like hundreds of people around. But intimacy, the intimacy coaching thing is good because you just want to make sure all boundaries are respected and no one's no one's uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but again, and now yeah. you have an, an added level of production that may not be worth the time or money for the scene. That does not mean such depictions of sex or sexual contact no longer exists. Those mm-hmm. scenes typically appear uh, in programming that no longer appears in theaters anyway. It shows up on TV. Often, yes. Particularly on premium cable. Off the top of my head, I can think of two shows that fit into this category. The Deuce, which was David Simon's show about the sex industry of Times Square in the 1970s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And Minx, which is on HBO Max. Minx is currently ongoing, but if you want to see a discussion of feminism and a whole lot of male nudity, there you go. Hey! 
Uh, also, Euphoria is another one. Oh, that's yeah, and, and, and HBO's Euphoria, had a lot of that. Yeah. Game of Thrones had a lot of sex yeah, in well, it. Like it. That's been HBO's rice on debt for a while. Yeah, like, we can do, like, even back when HBO was first getting started, they would do sitcoms like Dream On, which was basically a sitcom you could do on any network, except when Jerry Seinfeld had sex with his girlfriend, you would actually see the sex. Yeah, the sex scene would be there. And yeah, that would that would be that, it. You, you there'd be some toplessness. Yeah, you'd, you'd see yeah. The, Jerry's butt and a woman with her shirt And on. to be fair, when you watch an episode of Dream On, you realize just how much you really don't need that. <laughs> you really That's, don't. It's kind of a selling... Yeah. A- HBO has has always started a show with, we can get away with something, yeah. so we're going to do it. You're paying for it. Doesn't, like, it can be R-rated. We don't care, so let's make it as R-rated believe, as possible. I believe there's an episode of Deadwood where they only say the word fuck. Uh, <laughs> The only word they speak throughout the entire episode. That's, they, that's, they say it 480 times. That's actually really awesome. I <laughs> would love that episode. That'd be great. <laughs> Welcome to fuck, 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 fuck. It's in Walter Hill's vault somewhere. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, there you go. Of course, there are other examples, but those two stood out while you were having the discussion. Uh, lastly, as for people commenting that a film is horny, mm. uh, you can watch a movie that is horny in its behavior and not be aroused by it in the of slightest. Course. You're just commenting on the behavior and attitudes of the performance. Uh, granted, that's my opinion on the matter. Surely someone else can think it differently about it. Sincerely, Josh. Okay, and that's a good point. Um, you know, the idea that a movie has a certain um, sexual dynamism to it, either because the characters are really into each other or the camera is really lascivious or the story just happens to be very sexual in its identity... Uh, we have started calling movies like that horny. They're horny movies. It's as though the movie well, is turned I've, on. I've even heard, uh, even like Batman, I've described as being horny. There's no, no sex in Batman at all. There's like a couple of steamy there, moments between like him and Catwoman where they're going to make out, but that's like not really. Kiss. So what it is is it yeah. stars two very attractive actors. But I don't think the movie. Uh, Zoe, I don't, Zoe that's Zoe not a movie Robert that wants. Pattinson to are good looking people. That's not a movie uh, that really wants to have sex though. That's a no. movie that's like I've, I've actually heard mm. Robert Pattinson's character in that movie be described and I think rather accurately is somewhat gray sexual mm. um, so but I, my point is this to describe a movie as horny it, it doesn't necessarily mean the audience has to be aroused by it, it pe- what arouses one person isn't necessarily going to arouse anyone else or vice versa it's like uh, scary movies they don't have to scare everybody equally no, I suppose sometimes not. a movie is going to be more scary to one person than it is to another but we also understand the idea of the movie is portraying fear and peril whereas we can also appreciate even if a movie is necessarily turning us on that it is at least trying to Mm. and so yes i think that's a fair point and if we suggested that in order for a movie to be called horny it has to actually arouse you that's not really the issue but i think we are maybe a little reticent to be allow a movie to turn us on well, Nowadays. And, 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 that's, and that's that's just the theory I have. And, and, I don't well, know if that's... Other people might disagree with that, but I think it's, 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 yeah, it's, the, we, are inter- we are in an unusually chaste phase of hmm. mainstream cinema. Yeah, However, the point is made, a lot of that's on TV where people can enjoy it in the privacy of their own home, yeah, and they're not think, necessarily looking around to see if anyone else is titillated right now, and it makes them feel weird. Yeah, you, you watch a movie like Euphoria, or the two yeah. examples that yeah. were given, and yeah, if there's a lot of sex and nudity in those movies, and they are meant to arouse the audience... Mm. You do that at home, and you're not going to jump, on, frame you're not gonna jump it, yeah. on Twitter and say, "Golly, I'm horny from watching this movie," because yeah. that's a little weird, isn't it? Um, yeah. I guess depending on your circle of friends, but uh, well, again, we should we should be able to talk about these things yeah. in a comfortable adult manner. But yeah, but I I know that, and, and film critics have complained about this too. When mm-hmm. they see a movie and they say this is sexy, and I, I you know, this was a very arousing film, mm-hmm. that's seen as like being a little too lascivious. Just oh, like you're sharing, it's an horny. overshare. Roger Ebert used to talk about that all the time. This mm-hmm. movie is hot. 
Yeah. He would yeah. talk about this is a very sexy sex scene between, mm. I, I'm trying to remember what re- reviews I read, like nine and a half weeks or the fuck he was reviewing. Um, a movie is trying to evoke a emotional response, sometimes even a chemical response. Mm. The movie's trying to scare you, your adrenaline might go up or you might, you know, start quivering in your boots. Uh, comedies are trying to get the instinctive laugh reaction out of you. You're not supposed to think about it and go, oh, I get it. Like, no, most comedies are trying to get you to laugh <laughs> without even controlling it. Mm. So a movie is trying to get a rise out of you in one way or another, and to acknowledge that is to acknowledge our humanity. Mm. Not everything's going to hit everyone the same way. Not everyone's going to be interested yeah. in the same thing. Well, not everyone's life is the same uh, uh, in, in any specific regard, but movies are attempting to connect to us on this level. Uh, my uh, my complaint about people describing movies as horny, it seems like they're deflecting. Mm. That rather than admit that they are themselves the horny thing in the equation. I get it. They're sort of putting it on the movie. And Which I understand is... describing a sexy movie that doesn't arouse you as a horny movie. I mm-hmm. understand that. Yeah. But, you know, to go back to the Batman example, right. that's that's not a horny movie. Yeah. You just found the leads attractive. So not, but and you're so to you, it, it is arousing to you because mm-hmm. the leads are attractive, but the movie itself. Mm-hmm. I think this is in a situation where to describe a movie as horny, you would actually need. Okay, I'm I'm not going to say horny is a genre. I think that's a huge exaggeration. <laughs> no, but when we have terminology to describe things, and I'm going to limit myself to film just for the sake of conversation because it's my expertise. Um. When we have specific words to describe specific films or filmmaking or tones or whatever we're trying to uh, strike, uh, we need those words to have a certain consistent meaning. Otherwise, they're not useful in conversation. Mm. For example, and I'm not, I'm going to bring up a, something I've been whining about for forever, but it, it's it's not even a pet peeve. I actually think it's important. Uh, when people refer to photorealistic animation as live action, uh, that's not what that means. Animation is the opposite of live action. Live action is when you record with a camera something happening in real time. Animation is when you create the image frame by frame, uh, usually usually long after the fact. Uh, live action was a term we didn't need before animation existed. Mm. It was irrelevant. It's just what film was. Animation came along pretty fast, but by the time animation was becoming prevalent, we started to need to differentiate between a movie made like Pinocchio and a movie made like The Best Years of Our Lives. Those are two incredibly different looking films made in incredibly different ways. There should be a word for that. So one of them is animated. And yeah, arguably you could say film stock is animation as well. It's one photograph Mm. per one twenty-fourth of a second. You put them all you're, together like a flip book. Creating the illusion of movement. Right, but they're recorded live, and that's the issue here. Mm. Uh, live action means recorded live. Animation means created after the fact through uh, drawing, puppetry, whatever. Uh, those words cannot become commingled. You can't use the word live action to describe animation. You could maybe use it as a simile. That animation looks like live action, that's reasonable, but you can't call it that because if you do that, one of those words, at least one, probably both, lose all meaning. Mm. And then we need new words because <laughs> we need to be able to describe these things, at least in an academic setting. So granted, that doesn't come up so often, but it's something that it, a conversation I think you may have overheard me having. So hopefully that helps. So for horny, bringing me back academically to horniness. <laughs> A movie could be described as horny if the movie itself indulges in a certain amount of 
uh, noticeable lasciviousness, either Fair. because there's actual sexual uh, uh, conduct on camera or because the film is particularly interested in human sensuality in, in one form or another. Uh, if a movie arouses you, it is not necessarily a quote-unquote horny movie. Mm. Just because it makes you horny doesn't make it a horny movie. In order for a movie to be called horny, it has to fit that pretty minimal criteria. And I think yeah. a lot of movies would fit that. So, there you go. I just added something to the dictionary. You're welcome. <laughs> Moving on. Thank you, Noah Webster. Thank um, you. Here is a letter from Tom. Ah! In capital letters with an exclamation point. Hi, Tom. It's been a while. Tom. Uh, hello to my two favorite critics. Uh, William, who's the other one? Um, oh, sure, you're amazing, oh, sir. Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, Love you to pieces. I always get a nice, warm, happy feeling whenever you two discuss your own personal cinema experiences from years gone by. Uh, recently, you have discussed such things as test screenings, and when mm. people would hand out flyers for movies for upcoming test screenings, which sounds like such a bizarre form of marketing in today's day and age, yeah. but also kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know if that's even a I thing I haven't seen anyone do that in a long time. It's been a li- I mean, Maybe I the pandemic ruined that, but yeah, even before say, that, it's been a while. I also don't like, you know, bum around malls the same way yeah. I used to when I was like... You know, I guess they're probably email lists now for something yeah, like that. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. You'd have to get a... Sign up for texts. Anyway. Um, another one is whenever you two discuss Movie Phone, the service where you could call and hear Mr. Movie Phone tell you about upcoming oh, movie showings God in your world. area. As someone who grew up in the small rural Welsh mining town, I never got to experience either of these things wow. surrounding my own movie going adventures. Girl, oh, movie, oh, Movie Phone. We miss you so. You know, I, I, maybe. I don't know, William, do you think it's a good idea? Should I dial 777-FILM, like, on mic? Just to see what happens? I'm not going to say no. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to pause well, that letter for a second, because I'm going to get Because I'm on my phone already. All right. So, I, will, uh, I, will, I will delete this if we get a person. You know, right. don't want to throw them on 777-FILM uh-huh. used to be the movie phone line. Didn't have, like, an 888 in front of it or anything like well, that? Well, it was... Oh. Sorry. Oh. You have reached a number that has been disconnected or no Oh my god, the number's available. <laughs> we can buy we should get We should get 777 film. <laughs> we should do it. That should be us. Yeah, uh, the the area code is your area code. They bought yeah, it out in every yeah. every we possible just, area code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, you'd call it and you'd hear you'd hear I, I think his name is uh, Russ Whiteman. I don't know. Russ Whitehead. Um, uh, Russ White something. And, uh, I will look it up for the sake of posterity. Uh, he, Yeah, you'd hear his voice, uh, Mr. Movie Phone here, and he, he would record all of this himself, and you could dial in on your touch. Russ phone. Leatherman. Leatherman, excuse me. Yeah. Russ Leatherman. Uh, yeah, he would say, uh, yeah, welcome to Movie Phone. Dial your area code, oh, the five digits of your area code, and then dial the first three letters on your touchstone phone of the movie you're looking for. Mm. And when the movie Go came out, everyone freaked out because it doesn't have three letters. It only yeah. has two in the title. Yeah. What are you going to do? And so they actually had to make a special, if your movie is Go, press one. That has to have happened before. A couple times. There's a movie <laughs> playing right now called, it's just the letter X. Yeah. Or like when W came out. Mm. It was after Go, I suppose. Uh, yeah. But still, yeah. And anyway, I'm moving on. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, we're going to buy 777 <laughs> film. Don't, don't everybody take our idea. Oh my God. Uh, growing up, there's only one cinema near my village, a small family-run cinema that usually had movies ap- uh, appear there for months, and I mean months after they were released in bigger chain cinemas. And sometimes even after that, they'd come out, after they had come out on VHS. In order to find out the times for these films, we would have to buy a local copy of the village newspaper and find the cinema listings in the back pages. I have such fond memories of this with me and my grandmother looking through the paper on Sunday morning to find out what options we had for the coming week. 
Uh, with it now being easier than ever to discover and plan our cinema-going experience, with the internet providing all we could ever need, is there anything you miss from older experiences, or am I just wearing rose-colored glasses and letting the nostalgia get to me? For the record... I'm not saying that I preferred those older things surrounding the experience. I much prefer the more convenient and accessible options we have today. Maybe this is just a ploy for me to get to hear you guys discuss more nostalgic cinema experiences <laughs> than most of you had growing up on the other side of the world to me. All the best. Tom! Hi, Tom. Um, thank you for sharing your experiences as well. Um, you know, Whitney and I both, we, we, we were also growing up in the pre-movie phone era. Mm. where you just had to figure out what was playing by either going to the theater or looking at a, a newspaper. Or uh, here in L.A., we had a lot of free oh. newspapers like mm. the L.A. Weekly or uh, the Pasadena Weekly when I grew mm. up, uh, where I grew up in Pasadena. Um, Something that doesn't happen anymore, I don't think, mm. is uh, you would leave the house just at a time. It's like, let's go yeah. to the movie theater. And you would get in the car and you'd drive to the movie and theater. see what's playing. Without checking times, yeah. without checking what's playing. You just go there and see. And because you, because you, you figure out what's at a convenient time. Right. Uh, you might not know anything about that movie. You might need to mill around for 45 minutes for a start time. And you, a, just, a lot you of, just shoot this, the shit somewhere. And, you know, yeah. This was also at a time when you know, a lot of movie theaters were opening. A lot of yeah. multiplexes started to boom. And, and oftentimes, a mall, and, yeah, oftentimes and, they were in places where people would congregate and do other things and have other stores. Yeah, like, like restaurants. Meander. It's like, oh, well, it doesn't start for an hour. Let's go yeah. to a restaurant. And that was your evening. Yeah. Uh, people would... Uh, I used to work at a movie theater like in the mid '90s, and people would come up and ask for the star. They don't really oh, yeah. care about I the movie. See the new Tom like, yeah, I want to see so, the new Tom Cruise. I want to see the new Denzel Washington. Yeah, which led to a really wonderful question I got from somebody. They pointed to a poster and said, "When is Mel Gibson coming out?" <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, and my response was, "I suppose that's up to him." <laughs> yeah, she didn't get it. That's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> you were giving them gold. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a good point. Actually, you know, we talk about like, oh, the good old days. And listen, there's a. Life is constantly improving in a lot of ways. It's also devolving in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. With everything we gain, we lose something. And mm-hmm. this is this is how I feel about movies. Is if a movie is um, a, a basically is is does your movie have a happy ending or a sad ending? In any movie, the ending results in someone gaining something and losing something. Mm-hmm. If it's a happy ending, what you've gained is worth more than what you've lost. And if it's a sad ending, it's the opposite. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I've lost my independence, but I have gained a wonderful, committed relationship. There you know, is. like, that's a lot of rom-coms. That's, that's, yeah, romantic comedy. That's a lot like, of romantic comedy. And I so it's worth I it. I don't have to be a Tomcat anymore, but now I'm in love, and that's actually yeah, proving better. much better. That's yeah. better for me. I'm, that's, that's where I'm at now in my life. So I've lost this little thing that I don't value that much anymore, and I've gained something else. Happy ending. Um, so uh, when what we've lost with the prevalence of being able to plan our days through the internet and having constant access to information about movie schedules mm. and the like. Well, let me, let me put, let me start the other way. What we've gained is convenience. Mm. Uh, and we can now go someplace knowing exactly when we need to show up with our tickets already purchased. We know exactly what seats we're going to sit in. Mm. They could be our favorite seats. It may not matter to us, but whatever you don't have to worry about it. You just walk in boom. There's your, there's your movie. What yeah. you've lost, mm. perhaps, based on something you're saying, something that we've lost, and whether you value this is up to you, uh, a sense of the sort of surrounding culture of the neighborhood, where the, you the, just sort of the, show yeah, up and you... The, the community. You, uh. Yeah. You can, and, and the idea that, oh, I didn't know when the movie was starting, or we have mm. plenty of time, and there are now things... There's a lot of movie theaters with nothing around them anymore. Mm. There's a movie theater uh, very close to us called The Landmark. And uh, that is in the desiccated husk of a gigantic shopping mall. 
Yeah, the, the, it was called the West Side Pavilion. It was built yeah. in 1985, and it closed down like two years yeah. ago. It's, and that's, it was like it's, a three-story shopping mall, big no, shopping big mall, proper shopping mall. Yeah. And yeah, there was the a, only thing there was left a bridge now. over the street that would connect the theater to the next yeah. building over. And the only thing left now is is the is the independent multiplex, the landmark, which mm-hmm. has a lot of mainstream movies too. But you can reliably see something like Drive My Car there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. there in the basement there used to be this little bistro. Yeah. Uh, there was a bookshop immediately. Uh, Barnes adjacent. and Noble. Yeah. I used to work there. Yeah. Uh, the when that Barnes and Noble shut down, it was a furniture store for a while, which is less interesting. It but, didn't um, last very long now. It was and yeah, good. and then there was a bridge over into the mall. So this was all mm. part of. You could make a whole day of it. Yeah, it was a gigantic just, uh, see, shopping experience. See two movies, go shopping, yeah. go just window shopping, hang out, go to the food yeah. court. All of that stuff was now just you a just big part of, go to the movie. Yeah, you go to the movie and then you leave, you, and you know when it's playing, so you go, you show up five minutes beforehand to get a snack, and you're done. Something I yeah. still have not become used to is the idea of picking my seats when I purchase it. Yeah, I, I. I so just the part is just ingrained deeply in my brain. I get the ticket, I walk into the theater, and then I pick my seat because I, I, I don't know the shape of the theater. I don't know where also the people true. are sitting. I don't also know, true. You know I, I, it's like how the, big I, the screen is. Necessarily. What kind of what's so, our, yeah. what's the foot rooms? What's the the leg room situation? For yeah, example, yeah. who knows? Uh, and so that's an excellent point. Unless you're intimately familiar with the theater, it's not necessarily easy to pick the right seat. Mm. Um, so I'm with you, and, and sometimes it's a matter of you might buy a ticket, pick your seat, and you're very very happy with your seat. And because it's like maybe it's kind of off in your own corner somewhere and no one else is there. But by the time you get there, everyone's bought those seats. Yeah. And you kind of wish you'd sat over there where no one was sitting because that's what you'd rather do is kind of not be in a crowd. Yeah. But not be yeah. crowded, rather. Exactly. Yeah, uh, if you're seeing crowded theater. There's, uh, what we've done is moved the bottleneck. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of, you know, you, you see a big blockbuster now. Uh, it's difficult to find the tickets when they're first released for online purchase. Mm. It's like, oh, it's sold out, sold out, sold out. And you're just online trying to get your ticket for the opening night. You can't find it, can't find it, can't find it. Uh, gone are the days when you'd have to sh- sleep on the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh God, when was the last time I had? I think it was one of the Star Wars. I think it was Phantom Menace. I I, I never waited. I guess I waited like maybe like an hour for a movie in the past, but I never waited for like more than an hour. Oh, I've waited uh, for uh, quite a few movies. Actually, I waited for multiple hours, and that was a, there was a fun to that. There was kind of yeah, a communal. Absolutely. It was almost like you're going to see a concert or, or you, like you're you, you Woodstock to, or whatever. Yeah, you you know, buy your ticket at the box office, and then you'd wait in line because the theater yeah. wasn't ready yet. You had to wait for it to. Start. And also, you were waiting in line because there was no assigned seating. So the yeah. further along you were in line, the more likely you were. To either, a sit, get a good seat and B sit to, with yeah. your friends. I, rem- I I went to a lot of like big big screenings at various uh, movie theaters, whether they were opening night or sometimes like kind of advanced preview premieres kind of deal. And inevitably, there would be people who and, and bless them, they're trying. I don't blame them for it. It's inconvenient, but like they're they're with a group, two, three, four people, however many there are. They want to sit together. Why not? It's a communal experience watching a movie. But by this point, the place is crowded. You're probably gonna have to split up. Mm-hmm. And that sucks, and though they're trying to find a seat, so there's an inconvenience to that. But there's also something to be said for waiting in a line for like eight hours to go see the Phantom Menace, and everyone's <laughs> dressed up and they're having lightsaber duels in the street, mm-hmm. and like that shit was cool. Actually, there was something kind of fun about that. That yeah, the, uh... I, we we talk a lot about how anticipation is kind of something that's been weaponized by corporations, but I don't mind the anticipation just before the movie screens. Yeah, uh, that like, can be fun if you're if you're excited, you know? like you know, the, the hour before the movie starts. Yeah, like, ooh, uh, I finally get to see. Although, uh, whatever, that's something I really want to see. Uh, although I do uh, like Roger Ebert's quote. He said, "If you're sleeping overnight to see a movie, you like camping more than you like movies." Well, you can you can also like both. Why yeah. not? <laughs> People who like camping are allowed to like movies. I, 
true. What, why is why, that's why is that a negative? He, he thought it was absurd that, that you would have to yeah. go to such convenient inconvenience just to see a feature film. It's, yeah, it's he, about the, it's and, about and a communal experience. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I, I, if, if the movie I, itself itself should be the communal yeah. experience. Look, it's like saying if you were at Woodstock, you like mud as much as you like music. Like no. <laughs> That was just part of it. It's not not quite quite a good. You uh, had to endure it, didn't you? If you didn't like mud, you could have just left. I'm just saying. God, it was Uh, it was a muddy fucking hill. Like, what do you want? It's like always looks really untidy whenever you see footage of Woodstock. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that documentary film on Woodstock is terrific. Mm. Yeah, the one Scorsese uh, edited. Or co-edited? Uh, yeah, Woodstock? I think so. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the film is just yeah. called Woodstock, you know, this four-hour concert movie. And uh, they talk to, like, the people who are organizing it and the people who are, yeah. like, cleaning people up, the people who are, like, run the pit toilets and stuff and yeah. taking care of sanitation. Like, they actually bother to get into, yeah. like, the, the dirt of that movie. Isn't, isn't that the movie uh, Charlton Heston watches in a, in a movie theater all by himself in The Omega Man? It is. He watches Woodstock. Takes up a good part of, part of the day. That, does he, like, run up to the booth to switch reels? Clearly it's a platter. Okay. No, actually, we see the projector. It's upright projector. You'd have to change over every fifteen to twenty minutes. Be <laughs> such a pain so, in the yeah. ass. It wouldn't be in the theater. So he goes down the into the theater and it's like, okay, like ten minutes. You got to run up and you miss a big portion of it. I, I tried to run a movie that way. I tried to run Die Hard once, uh, oh, running it reel to reel and going down into the theater and joining yeah. my friends. After a while, I just gave up and stayed. It's in the not worth it. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, um, mm. I think that answers the question. Uh, just, <laughs> We've talked about our, mm. our memories, um, but yeah, we, we mm. everything we gain, every convenience that we gain, technologically, whatever, mm. we do lose something. It might not be something we miss, but we lose something, and there's something to be said for those old experiences that aren't going to come back. Eventually, the experience is going to change completely. People talk about like, oh, the theaters might be dying out, and mm. then we'll miss that the way that we miss other stuff now that yeah, well, people who grew up in the last twenty years don't even think is important because they didn't grow mm. up with it. And sometimes people get really nostalgic about curious things. Like, oh, I miss sort of the glory days of multiplexes. Yeah, a lot of those sucked. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that they weren't all that But they when were they were great, great, they were great. Know? When they were great, they were great, but a lot of them mm. were bad. Uh, the, the nostalgia for something like Blockbuster Video is really baffling to me because that yeah. was like the worst video store. Yeah, it was a video store that put all... And, and not everyone had their local video store. Never everyone had mm. a good local video store. But if you but did, if you Blockbuster did, is Blockbuster, what destroyed it. Blockbuster would deliberately move in yeah. really close by. And because yeah. they already had sort of all the corporate backing, they would deliberately try to put businesses I, and a, But a lot of people of are like, hey, listen, I was a kid when uh, Blockbuster was out. So that's why I have nostalgia for it. I'm like, yeah, you're an adult now. You know that it was... You know that you were like being raised by a parasite, right? Like you don't have to love the parasite. You could say, uh, "Yes, I, I, I had a tapeworm when I was eight. I'm not nostalgic for it, but it was my tapeworm at the time, mm. and it was my friend. I so, named so, him Tony." Something I know I'm going to be nostalgic about is uh, the. The pandemic making screeners more available. <laughs> oh God, damn them for taking. Like, oh, it's like such they've, a they've taken it away from us. You can't get screeners. It's, it's a, frustrating as easily anymore. I will say this: it's frustrating as a critic to complain about this because yeah. every, to everyone at home, it sounds like we're complete selfish assholes here because well, yeah. be, because it's a it's a matter a of convenience. Concern. This is a professional concern. This is totally inside baseball, but. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, when it was, especially when the pandemic was really, really raging and the theaters were shut down completely, uh, they were still showing some movies and there were still movies coming out on streaming. And what it turns out is that every studio in Hollywood was completely capable of screening their new movies online mm. instead of making us drive two hours across town 
at the height of traffic. Yeah, two, two hours, by the way, that's like nine miles. Yeah, in LA, that sucks. <laughs> LA, like this is this is not hour. far, but it's a pain in the ass, uh, and and cutting a huge chunk of productivity out of your day. You know, to to see a two hour movie might be a six hour journey. That's a that's a legitimate practical concern. Does it seem like a big deal to people who just want to see a movie early? Maybe not. But when you have eight other articles to write today, that's a lot of productivity you're losing. So the, to, to know that a studio was capable of showing you that movie securely, safely, in a way that does the movie some justice online without all that inconvenience was great. And there was a very convenient time to, to uh, uh, be able to. And also there's a lot of people who couldn't access those movies, oftentimes because of something like disability where they would be screening at movie theaters that weren't necessarily accessible to people with disabilities. Uh, now more people could actually see the movies and review the movies, and this actually helped grow uh, the the world of criticism. Mm-hmm. And now that theaters are back, they've taken it all away. And that's, again, that's their prerogative. They can, but we're losing that access. We're losing that accessibility mm-hmm. for people who, for whom that's it's not convenient or even possible mm-hmm. To see a movie in theaters sometimes, especially all, depending all, on the venue. All, all I'm saying is... It sucks. I can review a heck of a lot more movies yeah. if I, they're more conveni- conveniently available. We can available. fit more into a day. We can yeah. give you more exposure. I'm not, I can't promise we're going to like it, but we'll be able to talk about more and raise more awareness if we can see more movies. And if you cut four hours of, of drive time out of our day, that's like at least two movies we, we can we, see. We could watch more movies in that yeah. time. We could. We could it, mm. it would actually be better for arguably everybody. Just saying. Uh, yeah. Just saying. Just saying. And and again, that's inside baseball. That's just a practical thing, and maybe no one cares, or maybe people think that's, uh, uh, you know, it's a weird thing to complain about. It's, that, it's that, a, that's a weird thing I'm going to be. It's just we're about, we're though. just we're just talking about what it's I'm like not, to be a film critic. I'm not nostalgic for uh, you know the world shutting down and people dying. No, by that was scores, awful. But uh, I'm, I'm. But but there are certain things that we. But, uh, that's something we learned in a lot of different uh, uh, venues, which is that a lot of people could work from home. Mm-hmm. And the job could get done, and the business could still run, and the inconveniences of commutes were not entirely necessary. And you could save money on gas, and you could be with your family more, and you could have more flexible hours, and the job would still get done. And taking that away from a lot of people, we realize that a lot of the stuff that we're clinging to is kind of arbitrary in the 21st century, and maybe it's okay to move on, and we shouldn't be so gung-ho just to go back to status quo because it is the status quo. Maybe we've learned a few things. That's all. Mm. Anyway, we should move on. All right. Uh, here is a letter from Canadian Keith. Oh, hi, Canadian Hello, Keith. Canadian it's been Keith. a while. Um, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. I had an idea that I would really like your opinion on. Okay. Uh, a movie is made. Starring an actor mm-hmm. who is known for a specific role in a franchise. Okay. Halfway through the movie, there is a major twist revealing they're playing the same character that they're best known for. <laughs> okay. Bonus points for hiding the twist in the best way possible. Here are some examples. Hmm. Orlando Bloom plays a bodyguard who's on a mission of revenge after his employer gets kidnapped. He mm-hmm. always wears a hat and his weapon of choice is a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I see where you're going with I this. I see where you're going with this. is fun. Halfway through the movie, his hat is pulled off and his pointed ears reveal that he's actually the immortal elf Legolas. Legolas. Legolas? Legolas. Legolas. Come on, buddy. You've seen the movies. I don't remember the movies. Whatever. It's in my brain. All right. I don't, I don't remember any of the characters' names. Fine. He, he is but the last of his kind yeah. and he's been hiding out through history down to the present day. Cute. It's fun. I like that. That could be, okay. that could be funny. Yeah. An immortal elf hiding out, yeah. <laughs> getting getting revenge on his employer. Yeah, Le- leg legless. He has legs. Yeah. 
Uh, Mila Jovovich is a lawyer trying to juggle her career and her family during the holidays in this romantic comedy. <laughs> Halfway through the movie, reality brings a, begins to break apart and everybody starts trying to kill her. She wakes up with probes attached to her head and breaks out of an Umbrella Corporation experiment to fight <laughs> horrific monsters. That's kind of the plot of... That's, isn't that how that's, the fifth one started? That's the fifth one, yeah. Where she's kind of started like this, that one. It, it didn't get that far into the movie, but it's like pretty... Like Initially, it seems like she's like having like a happy yeah. domestic life. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Okay. It's good. Oh, no. Oh, God. Will Smith playing George Washington Carver in a biopic. Oh, God. Halfway through the movie, an alien appears trying to kill him. Got it, yeah. He shoots him with a ray gun and explodes into green goo. It's revealed that he's actually Agent J and he's been hiding out in the past in a mission to save him. I see what you're doing. They would do that in a, oh, yeah. in a Men in Black film. Oh, yeah. Like, that's not out of out of the realm. No, no, no. They, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's plausible. Like, one of the Men in Black was Andy Warhol. Like, like, that was oh, funny, thank, though. Thank goodness you're here to see Admittedly, me. Andy Warhol kind of tracks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that one, I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. Men in Black 3 is underrated. I it's like, cute. I like it's it's not bad. Uh, has something like this ever been done before in a, mo- in a movie or a TV show? Uh, what would your dream pitch be for this concept? Thanks for your time, Canadian Keith. That, I'm trying to think if they ever actually has... Well, I know they were being... Oh, oh, uh, 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 hmm. I know Sorry, they no. were being really mum about the new Spider-Man film. Well, yeah, uh, they, but they, it's not like... It's only Tobey Maguire was playing a different character until the middle. I suppose of it, you not, know? but yeah, they, they yeah. revealed you know that there was other Spider-Man actors. I like, think there there have been movies where they've sort of broken the fourth wall and acknowledged the existence of other things. I'm thinking of, for example, um, not to bring up Mel Gibson again, but the movie Maverick. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a scene in the movie Maverick uh, oh, with where Glover. yeah, there's a scene where a bunch of guys rob a place and Maverick's there and he kind of stops them and he pulls the mask off a guy and it's Danny Glover, his co-star of the Lethal Weapon movies, directed by Richard Donner, who also directed Maverick. And he pulls off the mask and there's this moment where they just go back to being Riggs and Murtaugh for a second and like, oh, uh, hmm. This is awkward. They kind of stare at each other and he puts his mask back on. And and then he says... Back to the day job. And then he says... I'm getting too old for this shit. Yeah. They're not really committing to that bit, Hmm. but they're having fun. That's just a a cute little cameo, really. I would kind of like to see like what movies would be funnier if we... That pre-existing movies. Hmm. Like imagine if you're watching uh, The Power of the Dog and like Cody Smith, if he's like, why are you hurting my mom? Like, why are you being so mean to my mom? And he's like, and he's like, because it's the only way he can defeat Thanos. And his cape comes out. <laughs> oh God. This is the one way. <laughs> I had to be this man in this time. <laughs> Bronco uh, Henry comes out. It's just Chris Pratt. He's like, Hey, <laughs> howdy. <laughs> no, Jesse Plemons unzips his face. and He's a raccoon underneath. <laughs> I buy that. <laughs> uh, sure, why not? Why not? Um, uh, I know in uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, oh, uh, yeah. George Lazenby, George Lazenby, who had just mm. replaced Sean Connery in, in the role of James Bond, mm. turned to the camera and said, "This never happened to the other fella." Yeah, for one of the opening scenes, yeah. he's like, he's like rejected by a lady. Mm. So there's that. Um, but but it, that's just sort of acknowledging uh, again. It's, it, these are fourth wall breaks. Changed, these yeah. are just momentary uh, uh, gags. I'm trying to think. I don't think you've ever just stopped and given up and gone back to the other previous franchise. Or if there was some kind of reveal, it's usually part of the advertising. So, you know, ahead of time, because the advertisers want you to know it's a movie you want to see if you're a fan of a franchise. Yeah. It's why you can't really hide big twists in the middle of things. Um, I don't think Spider-Man No Way Home would have been possible to market without giving away the twist if they didn't already have the gimmick of all the other villains are showing up. Yeah. yeah. No, they needed that. It couldn't just be Spider-Man's here and he's talking to Doctor Strange. Like, there, I don't know. I don't think that. I, I don't know I, if that would have been. I wish they had done that. I know, yeah, but I'm just saying but... you wouldn't have been able to sell the same movie. You probably wouldn't have gotten the fervor we're talking about. Mm. If people didn't think, oh, are they going to meet all the Spider-Man? Yeah, they'd have, they have to you be wanted, anticipating You want to tease that. So, like, yeah. you want people 
you you don't want to hide the most marketable part of your movie behind a twist that you mm. can't reveal without ruining the movie because either they're just well, going to reveal it anyway here's the thing. or it wasn't worth hiding. Here's the thing. I don't give a shit about marketing. <laughs> that's not that's I not get what it, I care but like, about. I, I, I get want, it, but I want the you experience. Live a, you live in a world in which uh, marketing exists and which people make that. For but, example, I interviewed But, but uh, sympathizing with what the, the plight of the marketers is not my job oh, as a oh, critic. I'm not sympathizing with the plight of the marketers. Right. I'm sympathizing with the plight of the, plight of the writers. Okay. Because the writers have to write a story and sometimes they want to reveal things carefully piecemeal throughout the narrative, but if you're working in a franchise film and you know that the most marketable part of the movie is going to need to be marketed, hiding it behind a twist mm. is not going to be very very easy to do because they're going to put that plot point in a commercial. Case in point, Terminator Genesis. They gave away a, a big uh, big surprise in, from the middle Ar- of the movie. Arguably, the com- arguably two surprises. Yeah. If you watch Terminator Genesis without knowing anything about it, mm. you might think initially you're watching a remake. Mm. Because it's all about Kyle Reese going back in time to save Sarah Connor. And then he goes back in time and Sarah Connor is already a badass working with the Terminator. That's the twist. Uh-huh. But if you know that going in because they had to market it that way, you're kind of ahead of the movie for about 20 minutes. And the first 20 minutes is boring. Mm. And then once that twist is out, is that really enough? And so they decided to reveal the mid-twist, the identity of the villain. And at that point, the movie has nothing left in the tank. <laughs> it's all based on a series of reveals, but in order to excite people into seeing the movies, which didn't even work, the marketing department felt it necessary to spoil it. Mm. So if you're going to put twists, especially early in your movie, that are going to be the reason why the movie might be popular, you have to acknowledge that marketing is a thing that exists and they're probably going to spoil it. Well, and that all comes from this notion that opening weekend is is the, exactly. the full bottom line of the movie. That a yeah. movie can't sort of stick around for months at a time and sort yeah. of build momentum, and people, you know, the information will kind of spread and word of mouth yeah. will cause this Almost film to never grow over anymore. the course of yeah. like a whole year. That just doesn't happen anymore. So, uh, I feel like writing is changed because of the marketing. And I'm going yeah. to blame the marketing for writing. Agreed. And, uh, I'll give sympathy to the writers in that they have to work within that mold. Exactly my point. Uh, and that sucks. That's yeah. a practical consideration they need to consider, especially when they're working on a big franchise film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think there is an instance that I can recall mm. where, like, the true protagonist, uh, a recognizable protagonist, suddenly mm. came in and was the hero of a movie. Yeah, or especially or like or revealed that they were the real per- that person all along. Mm. And again, I think if they ever did, it was probably already marketed as that movie anyway. Yeah. So I, I don't know. think it's ever happened, but it's a fun idea, and it yeah, feels the, like uh, it feels like a Saturday Night Live sketch. You know, they, like that kind of what? What if uh, every MCU actor was always playing their MCU character, and then you would just yeah. see every other movie that they're doing has that? Like all of a sudden, like in the middle of the movie, the judge, like Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> is like arguing with his father who's on trial for murder played by uh, Robert Duvall and he's just like yes Robert Duvall I'm mad at you you destroyed our family hold on a second I have to fight Thanos family drama oh no my brother is also the kingpin which he is that's right he is it's Vincent Duffer yeah it's kind of worked out a little bit I remember they tried to obfuscate this and it was kind of obvious but when star trek into darkness came out so they obfuscated it uh, there you go that's a, you. that's a great term thank you, you. Just coined a phrase there mm. um obfuscated the identity of khan uh yeah they were uh the character played by benedict cumberbatch what was his name like roy anderson or something oh it was uh, uh, w- like william harrison i think well, yeah it was some yeah. nondescript kind of white person pretty name. sure i'm right but i'll double check and uh 
that's how they marketed the film. It's this mysterious new villain. What's he up to? And mm. everybody says, oh, he's Khan. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 he's not. It's he's, he's Anderson, Mr. Yeah. And William Henderson. And, uh, there's, and you know, the, that's kind of the place they were going is this mysterious villain. He's committing these acts of terrorism. Who is he? They finally capture him and about halfway through the movie. They say, I was Khan all along. That That's, I think, kind mm. of what what Canadian Keith was talking about. Probably. One second. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure I, out who the... They, what Khan's name was before... Yeah, well, they what do they, what they pretend he was? Hang uh, on a second. Uh, Marcus, Harrison. It's definitely Harrison. Harrison. Is, uh, something... Harrison. John Harrison. Just John Harrison. It was John Harrison. Yeah. Harrison. That's me. <laughs> uh, we got time for one or two more. All right. Um, should I read a letter from B? Let's do it. All right. B's one of uh, our favorite people. Yeah. B, uh, I, I'm not sure if uh, if you've listened to the podcast, dear listener, but... Uh, uh, I hope you have. Uh, B. Peterson and I uh, have, or I suppose I should say had, a podcast together called All About Ovid, which is being put on indefinite hiatus for the time being. Uh, we talk about um, the films available on the streaming service, Ovid. It's like deep cut art house stuff. And uh, on our last episode, we talked about Academy Award winning animated shorts that are available on Ovid. Uh, and B is taking care of some personal stuff. Uh, and to the point where uh, hmm. she can't take care of... Uh, she can't do a whole podcast. Can't, can't do a whole podcast. Yeah, it's, it's, and, yeah these things happen. Life happens. And, and, it's, and you know, that, that's fine. I'm, I'm a little yeah. sad about it. Of course but, it's sad, know. but you know... Life, life takes priority sometimes. But uh, yeah, uh, li- listen to all about all that our latest Please episode don't. is really it's great. Really good and uh, here's a letter from B, uh, dear friends. Uh, and this is this is a bit of a long letter, so I apologize. Uh, don't you apologize? D- Nobody apologize, apologize for your long letters. Tired uh, of it. Today's letter is like the worst person in the world. Uh, the movie, the worst person in the world. It comes so to you awesome? in twelve parts oh. with a prologue and an epilogue. Oh my god! Uh, this is here we the, go. This has been the prologue. Chapter one. I found the worst person in the world to be a very bourgeois, a very bourgeois, bourgeoisie kind of dull. Uh, Reinsfeld and Danielson Leah brought a lot to the material, but outside the 11th and 12th chapters, which were admittedly engaging, the takeaways I had were all of these people are entitled and uninteresting. I enjoyed the Swedish setting, but I could have gotten that from a Bergman film. So why didn't I just watch a Bergman film? <laughs> Fair. Fair. <laughs> it's about bourgeois people. Yeah. Uh, number two. This is just filler. I don't actually have 12 distinct topics. <laughs> Nice. Number three, still filler. Number four. <laughs> All right, this feels weird since I've gotten to know y'all personally, but I check both you guys on some things. Uh, start. I gotta check both you guys on some things, Uh-oh. starting with you, Whitney. On episode 108 of We've Got Mail, a listener wrote in to uh, call you on your defense of Pulaski's treatment towards Data in the op- opening episodes of TNG Season 2. You rightly apologized, said that you would do better to see past superficial readings in science fiction, uh, like It's Just an Android. Fast forward a couple of weeks, and when Bibbs brings up the enslavement and cruel treatment towards droids on Star Wars during an episode of All Our Yesterdays, you dismiss the, end day, the entire idea as a joke. It doesn't matter, because they're robots. It's actually kind of funny. You even <laughs> doubled down on this position on We've Got Mail Episode 112, when discussing, of all things, how pop culture's watering down of Star Wars political allegories is dangerous. What gives, man? I expected more mature critical analysis from you, or at least some consistency. To, to be fair, we we gave that, and, and I stand by this, the mm-hmm. idea of the droids uh, as being sentient beings who are purchased and mm-hmm. owned throughout the entire franchise by the protagonists is a shitty allegory. Like, it's really kind of gross. When we did our show um, uh, Episode Zero, where we mm-hmm. talked about all the films that sort of 
uh, led to Star Wars. We talked about that in more depth, and and we both yeah. talked about it seriously. You were being flipped because sometimes you are, especially about Star Wars. Yes, because you're a Star Trek fan. Uh, Star Trek is uh, about open mindedness and enlightenment mm-hmm. and accepting others as who they are. Star Wars is a world where slavery exists. Mm-hmm. Full stop. And 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 the protagonists and, engage and, in it and don't ever really address that and there's no like moral no like there, moral com- there, there are horrible people in star trek but the protagonists in star trek are trying to stop them yeah whereas luke skywalker just owns sentient beings and mm-hmm. everyone's sort of fine with it it's yeah, fucking it, weird and before because, and, however, and if you make the argument that they're no, just machines yeah. if you make the argument that they're just machines then you have to ask yourself then why did we humanize them why do we program them like, to, imagine, to display emotions. imagine if luke skywalker when he found out that like oh man ben solo just like he turned to the dark side man i'm so angry and instead of like kicking a rock he just sliced r2d2 in half with a lightsaber mm-hmm. and thought nothing of it you'd be pissed at him because yeah, we those are he characters fall, he falls to his no- knees and says oh no that thing was so expensive <laughs> Yeah, that was a yeah. that was an antique. Like yeah. it, it, it doesn't work, right? Because those are actual characters. That's a that's a weird allegory, and my only issue, the movie yeah. Solo addressed it. And then they whiffed it my, uh, because of the way they handled L 3s death. It sucked. Star Wars has never addressed the sentience of droids. Not to my satisfaction. It's, it's not something that it's ever really been interested in addressing. Especially in the, at least in the movies. Maybe yeah. there are books out there that have talked about. I, I'm it, sure but there, I, are. there may and, have yeah, been. I don't know. Uh, it, it's. It's not really clear. They don't talk about the sentience of droids. They haven't had these kinds mm-hmm. of conversations. That's not the kind of conversation Star Wars has. A droid is just a funny robot that you can slice up. It is a disposable mm-hmm. person built yeah, to be l- such. Look at, look at all of the look at all the droids that get mm-hmm. hacked and slashed throughout the prequel trilogy. Yeah, and a lot of them say funny things. They seem like they're funny guys. Yeah, like hey, wait a minute, you're under arrest. Yeah, and, and then that's, they just that's a funny guy. I like that oh, yeah. guy. So, that guy seems cool. I get a, I get a can of oil with that guy. The, the difference is uh, there's been a concerted effort to communicate that Data is a living sentient creature mm-hmm. uh, who has a culture all his own. Yeah, and and mm. the characters in the in the show accept that and acknowledge that, and we're about mm. to review uh, later this week an episode that is literally all about yeah, that called the Measure of a Man. That. Yeah. Uh, whereas the actual sentience of a droid is never addressed. Uh, mm. Whether or not they're technically alive is never addressed. Clearly, they don't have any compunction about killing them if they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and clearly, all of these characters see droids as mach- mere machines without Here's, with that have weird personality quirks programmed. It's them. one of the things that George Lucas didn't put that much thought into. Yeah. Uh, or if he and, did, and he was going to come from a so really popular, bad angle. We have to start thinking and, about well, it. Well, we, I think they're actively trying not to think about it, mm. uh, and it's leading to problems whenever we do. So there, that is a really dark, unspoken chapter yeah. of Star Wars, and quite frankly, that kind of shit amuses me a little bit. It, that it, it's it's really like dark and horrendous. Specifically, and that there's something this horrible at the heart of Star Wars that people aren't willing that to people, engage that with. Nobody's not the to actual thing. With. The actual thing is horrifying, but just like mm. people are putting blinders on so that they won't be able yeah. to acknowledge this horrible thing at the heart of the thing yeah. they love. I agree. Anyway, it sucks. Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think I find it as funny as you do, but I, I, right. I agree that it sucks. It's, it, I, I find it kind of amusing. Anyway, because uh, yeah. I'm a, a bitter, black-hearted asshole. Um, yeah. Number five. Thanks for agreeing with that. Yeah. And number five. Regard, <laughs> regarding... I didn't say no. I didn't say yes. <laughs> I, I let it go. Chapter five. Regarding part six, I'll say up front that I'm coming from a place of having studied Chilean history over the last year. So, ah. number six, your turn, Bibbs. When reviewing the Oscar-nominated animated short films, you determined Beast, the Chilean entry, Bestia, 
Yeah. Uh, for not being accessible as it didn't offer you historical context. This was uh, four days before We've Got Mail episode 112, in which you rightly criticized the ignorant review Turning Red for demeriting Pixar's new film on account of its inaccessibility. I'm not saying that you are a hypocrite here, but I really doubt that if Beast had been about uh, Nazi death squads during mm. World War II or during the U.S. soldiers torturing prisoners in Abu Ghraib, you would, ha- you would have complained about a lack of historical context because you already knew about those things going in. Yes, the Chilean short is intentional abstract in many ways it mm-hmm. also gives more than enough specific context throughout via the nazi and chilean imagery mm-hmm. all over the woman's apartment to understand what the film is saying about com- uh, complicity under pinochet uh, just because you didn't recognize it doesn't mean it isn't there okay. as a result your evaluation of the film is obtuse as obtuse or slash unconsensible felt more uh, like a slight to you than to the film okay i can accept that um yeah, I, I suppose that's, I was. You know what? A you know bit what? Of cultural ignorance. No, 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 no. Well, it's, okay. it's, it's, it's historical it's okay. ignorance because there's there's mm. every country, every culture has a vast history, and not everyone knows every single part of it, and then mm. if or any of it necessarily. Uh, and I think it is up to some films to sort of provide some context. Um, I feel like a lot of historical movies or a lot of movies about specific political situations often do begin with a quick title card establishing context. Yeah. Um, now that being said, there may be various ones that don't, and maybe because of my personal knowledge of the situation based on where I grew up and what my political situation is in my country or culture is, uh, and maybe I don't question that. In which case, I would argue that if that movie played somewhere else where all of that information was not necessarily taken as read or not as widely disseminated, adding a title card for those audiences might be useful. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to say right then, I'm willing to admit that I'm ignorant about uh, Chilean history, specifically that chapter of it. Uh, I am willing to admit that part of that problem is me. However, I also think it's fair to say that movies should be trying to invite us in if they want us to be. Hmm. If they're trying to be obtuse, fine. I guess it did a good job. But when I, after acknowledging that there's something I'm ignorant of here and I don't know, and I did my research afterwards... I was like, I would have appreciated that movie more. I would have enjoyed it more Mm. during the moment if I had at least one title card giving me just the teensiest bit of context. So that was my critique. It's not that I was ignorant and I'm trying to flash my ignorance everywhere. It's that I think the movie had an opportunity to illuminate me and it didn't. And maybe that was the film's detriment. Maybe not. But regardless, uh, I accept this critique. It's fair. It's fair yeah, game. C- certainly not a detriment to a Chilean audience. Oh, absolutely not. One hundred percent, absolutely not. And I'm not trying to say that my opinion is more important than that. But I think that there are practicalities when you're dealing with uh, specific historical incidents that may mm-hmm. be presented to audiences that are not intimately familiar with them. Maybe it's adding a title card would be useful. Maybe not. Maybe that's just the, the audience's responsibility to be better educated. Yeah. That's also fair too. We're Americans. We are. Oh, we are. oh us. We're assholes. Uh, we're we're assholes. We're ignorant. We're ignorant yeah. of our own history. Yes, we are. Oh my yeah. God! Some of the ways we're ignorant of our own mm. history. Jesus uh, Christ. Anyway, okay. uh, chapter seven. Let's try to ease the tension. Now. Okay. Uh, what did the first nut say to the second nut during their chase? <laughs> I'm a cashew. All right, it's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, that's good. Uh, Chapter eight, filler continued. Chapter nine, as it turns out, I've been recently diagnosed with autism. Okay. And I know it's a cliche, but my word uh, does 
Uh, does it, it, it? But my word, does it explain so many things? I'd like to highlight two films that I found to be spot on in terms of representing neurodivergent behavior that I Great. recognize, even though it's not explicitly stated because it never is and never and that needs to change. Great. Uh, I showed an autistic friend of mine, Jim Jarmusch's Patterson, ah. back in 2020, and he stated in no uncertain terms that Patterson is absolutely on the spectrum. Mm. I agree. Mm. It's yet another reason why I love that film now. Also, a specialist who's been working with my family has talked about how The Mitchells versus The Machines is essentially perfect representation of families that are on the spectrum. Whitney, you've remarked in the past how the family, quote, isn't weird enough to meet the film's repeated claims that they are different, comparing them to the Adams family. Of course, they're not the Adams family. They're never claimed to be. They're just neurodivergent and awesome. So hmm. there. <laughs> that's a fair okay. point. That's a very fair right. point. And that's a, that's, right. a, that's a great lens. Through which we can, I think Patterson makes a lot of sense, and I think I heard that mm. one before, but I had not heard that perspective on Mitchell's versus the machines, and I think that actually mm. might even improve the film more. Okay. Uh, because I, I think that does actually flesh out those characters and their experiences. Mm. So that's, yeah, uh, that's a fair point. Thank you for that. Uh, chapter 10 The Batman would work better as a 90 minute silent film. Mm. I will hopefully be testing this hypothesis sometime this year. Why can't silent films make a mainstream comeback? Well, I it's re- a tough sell really stylistically. Wish. I mean, people, people, people get. I was still someone, follow stories without words. Agreed. I think, uh, but it's just the way that movies or styles change pretty dramatically every ten years or so, mm-hmm. and the visual language and sometimes the acting styles that we use uh, to convey stories uh, sometimes become a bit alienating to people who didn't grow up with them. If you're not actively looking at earlier mm-hmm. films. Uh, I was reading a tweet from somebody who, they're very appreciative, they liked the movie, but they were watching the original Jurassic Park, mm. maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a really long time, and they were like, the style is so damn different, and there's like focal depth, and I'm so weird to look at yeah, this movie, yeah. it just, movies don't look like this anymore, they don't. They really don't. Yeah, I, I and so going back the... to 1910s or 20s, when uh-huh. the visual, the, the language of cinema was very primal, and a lot of things we still use today, but when it's that dramatically different, might be a tough sell, that's all I'm saying. Maybe so. Although I, you can picture it though. Batman sort of sure. strides in with the spooky music. Oh and, my god! Be, it, this is and, uh, Je- Jim Jeffrey Burton. Wright. Jeffrey Wright, like he moves his mouth, and then there's the intertitle. He's with me. Yeah, that'd be great. No, like Tim Burton in, in, uh, based a lot of his uh, Batman movies on German expressionism with mm. um, uh, artistic Cal- movement. Caligari founded in silent mostly, cinema. But yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, Cal- mm. Caligari. But like, it's a little bit of Metropolis. I feel with their sort of overall arcing like mm. look of Gotham. But regardless. This is ingrained mm. into Batman in a lot of ways. Batman is a character who emerged from the 1930s, which means that it was created by people who were influenced by storytelling of that era and the recent era. And the silent, the silent era only ended like 10 years earlier. The, the, the Joker is based off of a silent movie villain. Oh, yeah. Con- the, man, uh, the Man Who Laughs. Conrad Veidt's The Man Who Laughs. Yeah. Played by Paul Lenny. So or there Paul, you go. Paul Lenny was the director. Conrad Veidt was the actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mixed but like, regardless, that's ingrained in the DNA of Batman. Uh, Mar- the Mark of Zorro is also in the DNA of Batman. That's a solid no, film. Uh, Pretty much every superhero movie that we know of, right back to Mark of Zorro, you can see it in the DNA of Iron Man. You can see it in the DNA of Batman. It's all over there. Uh, chapter 11. Something I'd like to see as an Iron List topic, besides the letter E already, yeah, know, uh, right? is, is a list of the 10 best pieces of art of any medium that shaped you. That means mm. books, poems, songs, paintings, anything. Oh, For example, God. besides the uh, obvious choice of Agnes Varda's Clear from 5 to 7, I myself would put the 1957 novel No No Boy by John Okada on that list, mm. as well as all of Bill Watterson's Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, that would uh, definitely be on mine. 
Yeah. One, number 31, 1950 by Jackson Pollock, and Derek Cook's third version of the fifth movement of Gustav Mahler's Tenth Symphony, uh, as conducted by Mark Wigglesworth, of course. Wow. Just a thought. Um, that, I think I think B. Peterson is actually, like, hmm. more artistic experience than I do. <laughs> uh, uh, sure, surely, surely. Oh, there's, I'm, there's I'm exaggerating a paintings, little bit. Paintings, photographs. Oh, uh, 100%. I, it's, um, I, we tend to be so laser-focused on film and television and sort of the media surrounding that, 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 that occasionally. That is you other, and I as film critics. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's, our, the, it's our job. It takes media. up a lot of our time mm. that sometimes I don't have an opportunity to really relish in other forms of art as much. Mm. And uh, sometimes I take that for granted. And that's an, that's an interesting yeah. idea. We'll think about that. Yeah, I, I got to uh, cover a news story. Uh, part of my job at Slash Film was just writing up news stories. Like, mm. this this film, this news broke. Write about it. Like, 300 words. Yeah. And uh, they're going to make an animated fe- an animated series based on the uh, newspaper strip Bloom County by Berkeley. Oh, Parker. yeah, I heard about that, yeah. It's going to be a Bloom County TV series. Yeah. I loved Bloom County growing up. I yeah. was a, a Funny Papers addict growing yeah. up. Yeah, really, really great. Had strip. to die for the comic strips. Yeah. Uh, funny Papers is something that's long dead. We don't need to explain it right now. Yeah, a lot um, of online comics, but it's not the same thing. It's no, like this it giant really, sheet of paper yeah, with yeah. like a three dozen different comics of and completely it, different styles and tones. And I'm, and I'm old enough to have like substandard newsprint, so yeah, like the color would come off on your yeah. fingers in some cases. It was great. Uh, yeah, and then you put your fingers in your mouth later on, and you taste the newsprint. You would like and that save is... a you'd save a beetle Bailey on your play doh oh, for yeah. later. Or, you know, <laughs> silly putty, silly putty. Did it work with oh, you're right, silly putty. No, no, you're right, silly uh, putty. I was, I was, I got it mixed up. Yeah, silly putty. Yeah, silly watch... putty is the the little sort of. I think you still get it, silly putty. If you like put it on newsprint, it would pick up the ink mm. on a like, cheap newsprint, and you could like see the comic strip or the in, newspaper, in, like, reverse, or whatever. It is. And then you could like stretch yeah. it and bend it. Yeah, I'm surprised no one ever did that on like a murder mystery. Like oh wait, <laughs> the evidence I is can't, on a I can't take this silly putty. Like we couldn't we couldn't take that rare newspaper out of his office. It's okay, right. I saved it. <laughs> Pop up with that little red egg. I have it here. <laughs> uh, silly putty is important. Uh, silly putty is one of the most important inventions in, in mankind's history, if you ask me. Uh, silly putty uh, hula hoops, mm-hmm. super balls. Super balls were originally mm-hmm. made of something they they advertised as made as uh, Zectron. <laughs> I kind of remember it's that. Made actually, of a yeah. Zectron compound yeah. back when they first developed the Super Bowl. When they first made yeah. the Super Bowl, they kind of had... It came out of the war yeah. uh, when they were experimenting with, like, polymers and plastics uh-huh. to make, make the war machine. And they came up with this, like, really hardened rubber substance. And that would leak its way into the consumer market. And what can you yeah. do with it but make toys? So the inventors of the Super Bowl made... It was, like, twice the size of a basketball. It was, like, a, a medicine ball-sized bouncy ball. And they took it to a hotel to test it out, and they broke windows with it. Nice. Anyway, off topic. Well, do you, do you remember, uh, I, I always wanted a chemistry set when I was a kid, but I, I was alive at just the time uh-huh. when chemistry sets went from being actual chemistry sets, and you could like make things that could hurt you and kill you, yeah. to like, red ink and too stuff. Set, like, too just, safe. Like, yeah. Really, eh. And then, of course, there was the uh, Radioactive Atomic Energy Lab Kit in 1950. Oh, 1951, Which yeah. came with actual uranium. <laughs> it was actually a radioactive toy. It is the single most irresponsible thing anyone's ever marketed to children. It's so fucking... And that's saying a lot, because we used to have lawn darts yeah. and guns that, and toy guns that looked like real guns. They got people shot. Do you remember the snack time kid? 
Stack no. Temp Gator was a Cabbage Patch toy. So this was uh, like oh yeah, and you would like you would like you would like eat like and, it would come yeah. with like little plastic carrot sticks, and you put the carrot stick in its lips, and this little like yeah. plastic motor would start grinding it. It would like yeah. suck the carrot stick. But into, kids into would get their mouth. hair caught in it. Yeah, it would yeah. Eat, eat children's hair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they had to cut off the hair. The amazing hair eating yeah. child. Yeah, it was recalled because it was eating children. Yeah. I don't think it killed anybody. No, I don't think it killed thing, anybody. But it's, we it's know not. Of. It's not safe. You probably no. don't want that. Anyway, uh, and finally, chapter twelve. Okay. okay. A question I've always meant to ask over the years that I've listened to you: you've inevitably, inevitably, inevitably repeated certain jokes, stories, and fun facts. Hmm. It's totally reasonable, if not valuable. However, you often respond to your co-host's information that they conveyed, say, a couple of months ago with, wow, I never knew that, or I had no idea you'd only seen a couple Judy Garland movies, or you'll laugh at a joke like it's the first time you've heard it. Is this ever is this ever for show, or do you genuinely forget things sometimes? You know I love you guys. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to go save my life. This has been the epilogue. B. Peterson. Uh, B. Peterson, you go save your life, and your life is very it's, important to us, so please that, that's, take this time, that's do what valuable, you need to do. That's a valuable thing that, that needs to yeah. be saved and is worth yeah. saving. And you have our full support uh, for everything that yeah. you do, and thank you again mm-hmm. for all your support throughout the years. Go take some time off and take care of you. You're important. As for our stupid jokes, we're in our 40s, so yeah, yeah we forget. Yeah, we do. This is a thing. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna run into a situation when you know someone as long, and when you have professionally multi-hour conversations with someone every day for 10 years, you run out of shit, and eventually you'll cycle back around and you'll say something that you've completely forgotten about. Or it's only a hazy half memory. Mm. Or maybe you remember it on another day, but you're really tired right now and you're not really alert. Which is the case for us, yes. Yeah. Um, it's never for show. No, it's never for no. show. We, we find the same old jokes funny because there comes a time when you just do. We, we, <laughs> we forget old anecdotes because there comes a time when you just do. Uh, I think you brought this up to me. They said uh, there's like medical figures on this. Mm-hmm. That if you get like six or fewer hours of sleep mm-hmm. a night, like a certain number of nights in a row. You're legally drunk. That, yeah, that but that's your, that's your cognitive drunk. capacity, yeah. I think it's six hours, yeah. That, that's been me for like five years. Yeah, yeah So I've too. been like intoxicated for the last five years. Yeah, so if I've been charming or funny, it's because I've been drunk. If uh, I start getting better sleep and I become much less interesting, well, golly, I guess I'll just have to start bringing gin onto the show. <laughs> I will say this. Um, it recently... Uh, we've been able to record earlier than usual. It's still almost midnight, but usually we'd have to start recording like at one. Like so, start recording at one a.m. So we're like I'd, really I'd, beat yeah. most of the time for a lot of our podcasts throughout a lot of our history of making these shows. Um, so if we lately, seem a little loopy, it's because we are. It's because we're literally fighting sleep. Uh, I, I've lost uh, probably more days than not in the last couple of years. I have been up till three a.m. or later. Editing and putting together and putting out podcasts uh, because we don't have time to do it during the day. Uh, that sucks. And after a while, it really takes a toll. And I need more sleep for my own mental health. Mm-hmm. I am 40 now. I can't really afford to do that. It actually, like, really... When I was in my 20s, I could do that. And I would be like, ha-ha, I am invincible. Nothing will ever destroy me. And now I get a couple hours... Only get a couple hours sleep at night. And I'm like, I'm dead. I just died yeah. today. Um, you, you reach a you reach a certain age, yeah. and when you pull an old nighter, you die. Yeah, it sucks. So mm. this is just the sort of thing that you're just you're just dealing with. But I will say this: we've been able to record mostly. We're still getting used to it and figuring out our schedule. But mostly, been able to record earlier. 
it's nice. It is nice. Isn't <laughs> it, it is nice, actually. It is nice. It's to, nice to be it's ti- nice to get to bed before one. It's nice, to, yeah, to be tired yeah. at midnight and actually go to bed at midnight and yeah. wake up. You know, and I, I have a six-year-old, and uh, yeah. he's, he's nearly seven, and he still gets up early. He gets yeah. up, you know, in the six o'clock hour. Yeah, this little kid. He's eager to get going. Yeah, and, don't want to waste a day. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole day to have. What are we doing here? Get up, Dad. He's he's, he's a, a, a cheery, fun kid. He's a great kid. You have a great son. He's a wonderful human being, uh, just like his parents. I, I get to tell a story about him now, Ooh. which is going to bore everybody who doesn't have children. Oh. And most of the people who do. It's the end of the podcast. Most people have already left. I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're winding down. They've already this. been picking up their stuff off the floor and they're, gathering up things in their bags. Their commute like, is uh, long since over. Hmm. And this is just, they accidentally left it on and it's in their pocket and they'll they'll realize later on. Hanging by the theater door waiting to see if we'll say something interesting. When when they bring up my kids, they go. When the sound quality changes and it airs whatever ad Omni puts at the end of... Our, uh, of our uh, show, yeah. uh, then 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 they'll be like, oh shit, forgot to turn off my podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, at my son's school, they're they're teaching him math at a pace that he's not comfortable with. He's mm. way ahead of what they're teaching, and uh, that's cool. Uh, that's cool. You know, good for him. He, yeah, he, he can grasp numbers. He's not threatened by. I was numbers, always bad with numbers. I'm very I'm very jealous. I, I was that's I was awesome. always okay with him. So yeah, maybe yeah. He got that from me, but. Uh, they uh, they say in like the workbooks, you know, write down this number, you know, add these two these two two digit numbers, and then they'll ask, how did you figure that out? They're trying to sort of get yeah. turn math into something intuitive when really yeah. it's you just kind of have to know it. And after a while, uh, the uh, simple stuff just becomes rote memorization yeah. very quickly. Yeah, uh, and so this like th- explain your thinking. How did you figure this out? And yeah. my son, with in his brilliance, just wrote the phrase, "I am smart." <laughs> How did you figure this out? I'm, I'm, I'm smart. smart. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> and, and another one, he, he figured it out, and he was getting all the answers right, yeah. uh, luckily. He wasn't just being smug about it. He did know yeah. the answer. He should be proud of himself. And, and the other one, he wrote, big brain. <laughs> How did you figure this out? Big brain. What a, what a precocious scam just like, I how did you? I know my multiplication tables. Six times eight is, you know, I can just remember that. After a while, <laughs> like I know my multi- I may be bad at math. I know my multiplication tables. Like yeah. I, may- they, they hammered that shit into my head mm. so hard. Everything up until twelve, I'm good. Yeah, they never made you do thirteen times thirteen. Thirteen's never they? gonna come up. It's never gonna be important. <laughs> twelve times twelve was as yeah. high as they got. One twenty four. Twenty times thirteen. That will literally never happen. You know, <laughs> one two, one through twelve. Two hundred sixty. But okay. <laughs> That's an easy one. Anyway, I know it was a joke. Um. Anyway. Seriously, once again, we always be Peterson. The best of luck. Uh, uh, you're gonna be great. We believe in you. And seriously, take the time off. Take care of yourself. This is something that I learned way too late. Self care is incredibly important, and it affects every single part of your life. It will make everything better. So, go out there, take mm-hmm. care of yourself. And this goes for everyone else who's listening as well. If you're not taking care of yourself, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. All right. Make sure you have your free time. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. Make sure you're drinking enough water. The basic stuff sometimes. And if you need more than that, if you need uh, mental health care, I highly encourage you to go seek that out. If you've been to a doctor, go see a doctor. You'll feel better afterwards. I'm terrified of doctors. I had my first proper doctor's appointment since before the pandemic Mm. uh, not that long ago. And I was really, really scared. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to tell me all these horrible things. I'm 40. I probably got all the cancers. And it turns out I'm fine. (laughs) turns out I was like... Cool. This mm. is great. It made me feel a lot better. I was so full of so much anxiety about my health. 
that uh, it never occurred to me that I might be reasonably healthy. So it turns out I am. Um, so yes, please, please, everyone, take care of yourself. You mean the world to us, whether you write in or not. And even if you don't listen, you mean the world to us. So please. Take care of yourselves. Mm -hmm. um, that's been it for We've Got Mail. If you want to join in the conversation, it's very easy to do so. You can email us at letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Also, Whitney, what is our P.O. box for uh, people who like to send in a letter? Yeah, you can hear it crinkle on the air. It's kind of fun. Crinkle that letter again. Yeah. Uh, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Do it today. Love to hear from you. Always means the world to us. We're also on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. If you want to hear even more podcasts from us, we have a lot of exclusive podcasts over at the Critically Acclaimed Patreon. That's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a variety of tiers, and at all of those tiers, we have a giant back catalog of stuff. Hundreds and hundreds of episodes of stuff about Star Trek, Batman, Firefly, the Academy Awards history, commentary tracks, the, uh, a ton. I, I do want to recommend our, our uh, Star Wars and our Rocky Horror podcasts. Oh, our episode zero? Yeah, episode zero. Which is kind of far back in our... Uh, uh, feed but you can search for it yeah. search, search for it i mean you'll you'll have access to that now yeah and that's well, that, worth, worth seeking out no episode zero was free oh it wasn't no, episode no. zero was free episode well, zero you then, can then anybody whether you're a patron yeah. or not patron or not it's, i recommend it, our old uh, podcast yeah, i like doing that one yeah it's been a couple of years and that was that was really a fun series mm -hmm. podcast and we're going to probably come back to that at some point with a different franchise but episode zero was a limited series of podcasts like kind of like seasonal thing uh, where we would look at the prehistory of some of the most famous movies ever made. We looked at the various films that influenced Star Wars and then the various films that influenced the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm. Uh, we had plans to do another big franchise towards the end of the last year, but yeah, we're busy and we're exhausted. So we're trying really, really hard and we're always behind on something and it hurts my soul. But trust me when I say we're always working and we're always trying. Mm. Um, if, so, if, you want, you know. if you want to see why I haven't seen Terriers... Go to Slash Film. There you go. They published like eight of my articles today. Blame them. Yeah. No, well, don't blame them. No, blame, I'm kidding. Blame the don't, job. Don't I bug have, them about which it. Is, like, yeah. Which is good. You deserve <laughs> no, a job. Don't, please don't bug my editors. Yeah. No. 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 Don't. It's it's good that Whitney has a job. We're very very proud of him. Uh, and we, some, we might need to adjust our workload at some point, and point, we'll deal with point that when being, it happens. It's taken up a lot of my time. Yeah. Especially especially when you're just getting started yeah, and you're yeah. you're trying to find that balance. Yeah. Figure it out. What's, yeah. What's going well, on? We're gonna we're gonna figure it out. Um. And um. I guess that's it. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh. Thank you very much for writing in, everyone who did. We're sorry if we didn't get to your emails. We'll try again next week. Uh, feel free to poke us if something is like really important or time-sensitive. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. Have a good week. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.